because I think my my most difficult patients who have found some success with splints, I think you raise a great, great point that they're not wearing the splints during the day. And I think that's where really you guys come in to really strengthen and to stretch and relax everything. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career. With your host, Jazz Gulati. Hello, Petrusarati. I'm Jazz Galati, and welcome to another episode of the Petrusarati Podcast. Today, I am recording this introduction on International Women's Day. I'm so proud to be sharing this episode with a fantastic woman. Her name is Karina Panchal. Karina Panchal is a TMJ physiotherapist, and I'm a huge believer in physiotherapy to the management of your TMD patients. And I'm going to let her explain why it's so important and how we can collaborate. So this episode is basically going to cover when why and how to involve a physiotherapist in the management of your TMD patients. Like I often refer my patients, especially when they have chronic pain. Chronic pain is a completely different beast to someone who's got acute TMD. So chronic is like when it's been more than six months. And what happens with chronic pain is that they develop something called chronicity, meaning that the, the nerve signals that fire from the brain to the site of pain they get sensitized over time. And even though that initial inflammation or strain heals, the pain signals are still firing. So chronic pain is a completely different beast. So we can't just rely on advice and appliances. We need to involve a fantastic specialty of physiotherapy because they are really, really useful for helping our patients who suffer from TMD. And if you've ever wondered how to get in touch with one, what kind of diagnoses they can help with, then this episode will clear that out for you. The protrusive dental pearl I want to share with you today is something I actually learned from Krina Panchal's Instagram. She saw a dentist who made her a Brux checker. At that time, I had no idea what a Brux checker was, but it seemed really interesting, like right up my street, you know, on the, on the theme of Bruxism and parafunction. So I did some more research and I learned a lot from her video. It's basically like a thin foil. Imagine like a really, really thin Essex retainer, like a foil, and it's red. And what happens is that when you grind or clench or when your patient parafunctions on the foil, they make a little mark. They make a little pattern. So it's helpful in, in diagnosing people who've got parafunction, but more importantly, which teeth touch and when do they touch? It gives you that sort of diagnostic information. I mean, in the literature for the Brux checker, it's referred to as the ECG of occlusion and, and bruxism, which I found very fascinating. So I made a YouTube video about six minutes all about the Brux checker, giving my honest reviews. Because what I did is I, I tried it on myself, I tried it on my nurse, I tried it on my patients. And I have to tell you, to give you a spoiler, I'm, I'm a big fan, right? Like, I, I, I'll make it tangible. I had this one patient who came to see me because he wanted some bonding. Uh, and he came to me as a second opinion because his existing dentist, my principal, was not quite ready to do some bonding on him because some other bonding kept chipping. And so my principal thought, you know what, I think there's some bruxism going on. I think you should see Jazz because this is the kind of stuff he deals with. So he came to see me and I wanted to know the chipping that he was having on his anterior composites, was it due to bruxism or not? Or was it something that was not bruxism related, i.e. the composite was too thin or something he was doing not at nighttime, i.e. was he biting on sellotape or biting his nails, that kind of stuff. So what I did is I made him a Brux checker. And I mean, I, I'd seen that he had signs of bruxism and parafunction, so I knew he would create a mark in it. So he went home, he wore it for me, and then when he showed it to me, it showed that at no point 
did he touch or go near the composites that we were concerned about. And so whether he could or he couldn't have bonding on the premolars, I think he could because actually it showed that he had canine initiated disclusion and he didn't come onto the premolars which he wanted bonding. So as long as the occluding scheme is respected and you conform to it, I don't think there's any issue here in terms of chipping from bruxism because I think his bruxism is happening in all the right places. It was happening on the canine teeth which didn't have any bonding on them. So this was a cool little thing to do and I'm hoping I've shared some of those photos with you for those who are watching on YouTube to gain some value from that. So let's join the episode with Krina Panchal on the importance of TMJ physiotherapy. Krina Panchal, welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, our first ever physiotherapist. And I am so, 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 so pumped to, to have you on today. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited as well. Uh, I actually knew your your, your husband, uh, Kartik, from, from just social media, and I think I might have met him in a course, some of that. And then when I when I stumbled uh, across your, when, when we, we started following each other on Instagram, I was like, yes. wow, this is amazing. Because I've been looking for a, a physiotherapist who niches into the temporomandibular joint for so long. And I did find one, but he wasn't as good as you, Karina. So I'm so, so happy. <laughs> your, your, the stuff you put out, the content you put out, the dentists and the surgeons that you are associated with in London is just, wow, mind-blowing. Like You work with some really top people in, in, in this field who, who also just love this area. So uh, kudos to you. But uh, before we just dive right in, tell us a little bit about your background. I know already because we had a little chat on the phone, but tell us how sure. you as a physiotherapist ended up specializing within uh, TMJ of all things? Sure. So um, basically, we do our degree and you come out as a general physio, I guess, like general dentistry, really. And then you work for a few years and you think, oh, I need to specialize in something. Nothing was really taking my fancy, you know, like if I, if I want to do musculoskeletal and neurological or specializing in the knee. Um, so and then I actually met my husband, Kartik. Um, as you know, who's a dentist, and um, he introduced me to the TMJ, and he asked me, you know, what can you do about it? <clears throat> and I said, well, actually, we're not even taught the TMJ at university because we're only taught neck down, so we don't even know what's actually going on in, in the head, which is ridiculous, really, because in other countries they are taught that area. Anyway, cut long story short, um, I started reading about the joint and I thought, God, it's really interesting. No one's really treating it that well in this country in terms of physio. Uh, why don't I um, do some studying on it? So then a little bit of studying and reading turned into um, doing some courses. Um, so I guess I went over to America first, um, Atlanta uh, first, and uh, there was a physio there who was doing a, a well-recognized course. So I did a course with him, uh, Steve Krause. Then I went over to Columbia University in New York, um, and they've got a head, neck, and facial unit there, department, uh, where it's full of max faxes, um, dentists, physios, psychologists, you know, and they're very multidisciplinary. And they were basically, all of them were treating um, these patients and I was able to see that so I did like a sort of mini work placement with them uh, just to see how they work and then try and bring it back to the UK uh, then um, I then started pitching as a as mini pitching to maxillofacial surgeons and dentists and said this is what I'm doing are you guys interested uh, so I started working with the joint and then I went on to do some more qualifications uh, with University of Liverpool they do a master's module um, called the differential diagnosis and management of the TMD 
Um, and and that's, that's specifically for physios, right? That's that's not for dentists, right? That's yes. specifically for physios, okay. That's the dentists can go on it if they wanted to learn more about, I guess, what we were doing um, and how we could work together. Um, so I did that master's module, that was about 2015. Uh, then I went on to um, do uh, something called Crafter, which is a, a academy based over in, um, in the Netherlands, and it's called it's, um, it's actually Cranial Facial Therapy Academy, and they teach about all the cranial bones, TMJ, headaches, migraines, tinnitus, all of that, sort of anything to do with the head, neck, uh, and facial region. So I did some courses with them. Then I went to Lithuania and did some Rockabado courses. So for those who don't know who Rockabado is, um, he is a very, very experienced um, physiotherapist in Chile. Um, And he only treats TMJ. He has lots of courses um, that he provides. Um, He's done lots of research um, on this area as well. So I did his courses to learn his assessment and treatment. And then alongside that, there's all the treatment courses like doing Pilates, dry needling, myofascial uh, taping, laser, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a journey. But, um, and and but now, now you I'm, work, guess, where do you work? Yeah, perfect. Yeah, so now I work um, over, I have a clinic in Mayfair and I have a clinic over in Gerard's Cross as well. Um, so um, I'm working there a few days uh, a week and yeah I, I mean I don't treat anything but um, head neck and facial uh, pain disorders um, that's all I do now I don't have any knees or shoulders anymore well I'm, I'm so excited to learn from you because I think we can make this a really really impactful episode for dentists because look <laughs> the PMJ is like this it's a dark art right like like you said when as, as a physio you came out and they don't teach you anything about TMJ. Well, yes, we learn anatomy of TMJ, but ask any dentist, okay? In fact, most dentists, ask them to draw you a temporomandibular joint, okay? And you'll get a really, really, really small drawing, so small on purpose that you can't really make out what's what, right? Because we're not confident <laughs> on this. We're not confident on TMJ. Uh, we're not confident on the management of clicks. We're not confident on, on, on temporomandibular disorders. It's, it's a massive area that is only really delved into in postgraduate and even then, there's a scarce amount out there. So I think, I think we're going to, I'm so excited. We're going to learn loads about, uh, from you today. I first learned about Mariana Roccobado a few years ago. Then I learned about the Roccobado pain map now, pain map. Now yes. I think earlier on in maybe episode six, seven, eight, something like that, I actually, um, gave that as my protrusive dental pearl. Like you could download the, the Roccobado pain map. And so, so it's yes. amazing when I spoke to you on the phone that, um, you said that you've, you know, you've had training from Roccobado and these great institutes and you've been chasing these institutions to to be really at the top of your game so that is absolutely amazing so i'm gonna i'm gonna crack on and ask you the first question okay so you've told us about your uh, journey and niching down into tmj tell us what evidence is out there that physios or or tmj physios are actually useful for tmd like there is some um there is some evidence about like, you know, um, acupuncture and it's debatable whether the evidence is good enough to say that acupuncture is good for TMD. Even the stuff on splints is abysmal. Like there's, yeah. you know, a lot of evidence suggests that splints don't do anything at all. Other studies will show certain types of splints will make things worse, but there isn't high quality evidence. So where's the stance on the evidence behind physiotherapy for the temporomandibular joint? 
So evidence, um, basically, I think uh, if we start with the NICE guidelines, uh, which was published in 2016 by Andrew Sidebottom, um, well, he was one of the authors, and um, he's a maxillofacial surgeon. He specializes in um, TMD in terms of surgery. But actually, um, I've spoken to him recently, actually, and uh, he does not advocate surgery for TMD at all. And um, he would rather that um, these professionals deal with patients who have TMD. So that would be a dentist first, um, who often you guys already know what you guys do, and explains. Um, but then also it's important to note that psychological services like cognitive behavioral therapy is really important as well, because um, there is always a psychological distress in these patients and anxiety. But then also lastly, um, and this is where I can help him, is um, with physiotherapy. Um, and um, they've collated um, a lot of evidence to show that physiotherapy, in, especially uh, alongside splint therapy, works better. Because if you imagine when you have a splint, um, the patient doesn't have relaxation of muscles instantly. It takes some time. Plus, they're not wearing it during the day. Um, usually, you know, they're given instructions to wear it in the nighttime. And uh, there is something called you know, daytime bruxism where people are clenching and, uh, and doing other sort of parafunctional habits during the day as well. So um, that's where physiotherapy can really help because we can actually um, relax all of those muscles and give them exercises and try and just help alongside sprint therapy as well. Um, then the other... Um, guidelines that we use as well is by the Royal College of Surgeons um, of England, where um, in 2013 um, they recommended physio as non-invasive treatment um, instead of having um, surgery and trying that first um, before they go and do any um, irreversible treatments, really. Um, and then in, um, I, I searched for systematic reviews rather than individual um, journal articles, really. And um, in this systematic review in Journal of Oral Rehab, uh, 2010, they found that there was some evidence that, following, uh, that the following can be effective in alleviating TMD pain. And that was occlusion appliances, acupuncture, also then uh, jaw exercise and postural training, which is what um, I can help with. Amazing. To, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to show Sorry. just more? Um, yeah, we got loads of evidence. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. And then after um, post-op uh, surgery procedures, um, said that physiotherapy was really important in achieving um, good uh, results. Again, another um, systematic review saying physiotherapy was useful, and then basically uh, another systematic review as well. So that one needs to be deleted because that's for something else. Awesome. We'll do that. Yeah. John will do that. So yeah. no, that, that's amazing. And it looks like there's uh, plenty of evidence out there that you guys are an important part of the team. I don't think enough dentists refer to their physiotherapists enough. And I think there's a, a huge benefit. And to the extent that, yes, I knew about in the UK, we had the ACP TMD. Like this is where you can find a, a locally trained um, TMJ, you know, a TMJ physio, if you like. I struggled to find one that I could, you know, that was close enough to, to my patients that I could right. really uh, ha have a chat with and have a connection with. So actually, I took it upon myself. Um, and I, I hope you don't take offense by the screen. I actually read up and I've learned a few of the exercises that you guys prescribe and, and some manipulations that I, I started to do. 
to help. But now that I found you, Queen, now you've already had one referral from, from me already uh, yes. last week. Um, so so I'm, I'm definitely sending them to you because, you, you know, you're, you're the gal, you know, who, who knows what to do. But I think every dentist can learn a few things so that if their patient will take some time to find a physiotherapist, that a few simple things might be able to, to help their patient. So I think it, it's great. And I'm so glad that, I, like I said, I, I found you. I'm very, very grateful for that. And of course, for this episode. So um, you're going to share so much more. So we've talked about the evidence. What do you think? And I've just switched over the questions a little bit, uh, Karina, is of all the things, what is the biggest etiological factor for TMD? What do you think in your cohort of patients? What's the biggest etiological factor? Are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We worked so hard on this Protrusive team and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. So this, yeah, as you probably already know, is a very big question. I can't really say that there's even one or say there's um, the top three, but um, there is some evidence um, out there. So, um, so this uh, is the OPERA study, which basically means orofacial pain prospective evaluation and risk assessment. Uh, assessment sorry. Um, and this was released in 2011. And what they did, it was based over in America. And what they did is that they recruited about 3,000 um, TMD free um, participants, all aged between 18 and 44, men and women equally. Um, and they did lots of physical examinations, filled out questionnaires, had tissue samples collected, um, and they agreed to having follow-up uh, re-examinations and questionnaires. Um, and what they basically found was that um, 3.5 to 4% of those 3,000 uh, participants actually developed TMD. And then what they wanted to see is, well, what were the risk factors um, and what was causing them to have TMD? So they actually found that the incidence of, of first onset TMD was three times higher if someone had IBS. Uh, it was twice as high for people who uh, reported lower back pain, uh, three times as high if people reported genital pain, which is a bit vague, but um, that was interesting. Um, and those who had tension headaches, it was also sort of associated as well, um, as well as fibromyalgia, fainting, insomnia, and ringing in the ears. So um, what this actual study is showing, if you look at the flow chart, if you look at the pink part at the bottom, that's basically telling us that um, genetics is um, involved with TMD, where everything is subject to genetic um, regulation, so whether something is um, upregulated or downregulated. Um, then it goes on to say that high psychological distress is also related. So most patients um, who have um, TMD 
will have some sort of psychological um, uh, distress, and that could be with depression, anxiety, uh, mood disorders. But then what was also interesting is that with the uh, purple area, where it's got the high state of pain, um, they basically had a decrease in pain inhibitory pathways and an increase in pain facilitatory pathways. So they were, um, were prone to actually feel more pain because their physiology was programmed that way. Um, and all of that is then also subject to the environment that you are in. So if you live in a certain area, for example, if you're in London, you have very stressful life with commuting or the pandemic is going on, um, that then adds to whether you would get TMD or not. Um, and all of this contributed to the onset and more importantly, the persistence of TMD. So then to find actually one etiological factor is actually quite difficult because it's so multifactorial. Um, and what I usually find with my patients is that, you know, there's so many patients who, Brooks, for example, um, and some are not in pain at all, and some have a little bit of tooth wear, and actually they're in 10 out of 10 pain. And um, what is it? because they may have loads of psychological distress uh, that you don't know what their genetics are like, but the environment may be super stressful as well. You know, why are they not in pain? And I think really what it comes down to is something called adaptive capacity, where um, it's their ability to adapt or cope or how much resil resilience they have uh, determines their threshold to actually developing um, a TMD. Um, so uh, I, Queen, think, I, I totally uh, agree. One of the splint episodes, actually, I, I talked about this as well. About um, yeah. uh, I, I talked about two things: the tactic capacity, and you're totally right. Uh, the resilience is such a great word to use there. And the other thing I talked about was the weakest link theory. Is that you know some people their weakest link might be uh, the, the the teeth or the periodontium. That's why the teeth go loose. For other people, their bones hard, their teeth are are, are resisting it. But the, the, all the sort of damage is happening in the temporomandibular joint. But the theory I used to have, Kleena, some years ago, is that I used to subscribe to this theory, very dentist-based, like we think that if there's, if there's true trauma, that would result in pain. For example, my background is I thought temporomandibular joint disorders were caused by micro trauma and macro trauma so macro trauma is like yeah. a punch to the the jaw or, or a, a road traffic accident or a brawl on saturday right. night uh, or a micro trauma would be the clenching the grinding mm -hmm. the, the pen biting mm -hmm. the nail biting but the problem with yes. that cleaner i'm sure you'll, you'll you'll agree with me here is that's a very um biological model i.e there's trauma hence that that causes pain and problems I've right. since learned that pain is so complex. And this is why I treat my chronic pain patients of TMD very, very carefully. And from now yes. on, you're going to be seeing all my chronic pain patients uh, because they are <laughs> tough. Because pain, like just like you said, in, in dentistry, we, we were taught that how you feel pain varies by a factor of four. So the same um, injection that we do, an ID block, for example, one patient for the, in the same technique will say that's a 2 out of 10 pain. The next patient can say the yes. same um, input is an 8 out of 10 pain. And that's a real yes. pain. So because pain is so complex, because, as you said, uh, the adaptive capacity can vary so much, that is a yes. huge part. And it's not just yes. biological. Now it's the biopsychosocial. Yes. Have, you, have you come across the biopsychosocial model yes. of pain? Yes. 
Yes, so basically, I mean, that's uh, one of the core modules when, we're, um, uh, on, when we do physiotherapy as a degree. Um, awesome. That we have to work in a biopsychosocial uh, way. And that's why I think the opera study is so important for TMD, because um, it actually showcases the biopsychosocial model and um, urges all practitioners who are working with TMD to actually look at these things. And it's not just a case of just looking at the joints or just looking at the masseter and, um, you know, doing Botox, for example. There's so many other things that you should be uh, looking at. And it takes time if you're treating a TMD patient to have a quick 10, 15, 20 minute appointment is never enough. I don't know if you think the same, Jess, but these patients um, drain you. I mean, this is why I actively said in my one of my first uh, episodes that I did in the splint series was like, hey, you know what? Don't refer me your uh, TMD patients. I don't want to see them. <laughs> no offense. I'm happy to <laughs> stick to my orthodontics and smile makeovers and, and general dentistry. I don't want to be bombarded with TMJ patients. Learn to treat your own because they're complex. And, and one of the other things that we haven't mentioned yet, but I know you're going to come on to is even their, their sleep quality can be important yes. because that's all related right. to, to pain and everything. So this is all, you know, their sleep apneas, whether they have that and, and how how well they're exercising. And we, we you might have listened to the, the the back pain episode I did with some physios. I haven't, no. I, that's the one that I haven't listened to yet. Oh, you might like that. You, you, you'll, you'll be I like know. nodding I the whole way through. These are really cool switched on <laughs> physios, but I'm so glad I've got you on today for, for the TMJ. Is there anything else you want to tell us about the, the Oprah study? Um, uh, no, that's just it. Just the fact that it was biopsychosocial, mm -hmm. um, and it's important to take all of that into consideration. Perfect. Um, so, Karina, what's the number one thing that you treat? I.e., what's the most common diagnosis you will make? So, for example, to dentists listening, you know, we we have these diagnostic terms we use. Like, for example, uh, now hopefully. We're not just writing TMD for everyone because that's so vague, right? But we, that's what a lot of dentists yeah. do, like, you know, diagnosis, TMD. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> There's so much more to it than that. So within TMD, there could be like, you know, intra-articular, there could be muscular, there could be all sorts. And, you know, I've shared once for the, the, the different classification system is very complex. But what's the main yeah. diagnosis that, that you see? The main diagnosis I see would be uh, myofascial pain, um, usually referred uh, from the neck to the face or vice versa. Um, now, I think um, maybe if I explained what myofascial pain was a little bit, yeah. Um, so basically what ends up happening is that you get, myofascial pain is trigger points within muscles. But what's a trigger point? So a trigger, you have a muscle, okay, and it's made up of fibers and they're in nice straight lines, right? Um, and then when you want to do a contraction, these fibers come together and when you want to relax, the fibers are apart. But usually, um, with someone who's got TMD, for example, in their masseter or their pterygoids, uh, their muscle, their fibers are together like this because they're contracted and in spasm, but then they're slightly twisted as well. So then, during function, if you're trying to open or close or um, use the muscle, it's hard for the muscles to come apart. So then you're only using the other fibers that are left surrounding this trigger point to then do the work for you. So the muscle is not as effective. But what actually happens at uh, this trigger point, because the trigger point is in the middle there where the neuromuscular junction is. And effectively, in simple terms, it's a knot. And it's ones that you can feel in your master. What, what actually ends up happening there is that you get local inflammatory response 
uh, to a small uh, level, you wouldn't get a swelling there, but there's inflammation there. And then you end up with a loss of oxygen, a loss of nutrient supply, and you get the shortening of fibers, which is why you're also contracted. Um, and that creates the trickle point in that area, which is the knot. Okay. Um, now you can have um, active trickle points. So that's where maybe if you've been for a massage, somewhere and someone really digs deep into your uh, knot and then you've got that sustained pain what you can sometimes feel is that of course you'll feel pain where they're pressing down but then you may feel pain somewhere else and you think well that's so far away from where they're actually pressing that is what myofascial pain is where you have a knot in a muscle but then it is referred to another area so then when it comes to um, TMD specifically, if I share a slide here, so this is basically, uh, so if you have a look at the masseter, you can see that there's a trigger point within the masseter. I mean, there's lots of trigger points, that's just one. Um, but you can see in red where it refers to. So it actually can refer to the TMJ joint within the ear. So a patient may present to ENT, for example, and say, I have ear pain. And then the ENT can find nothing because actually it's coming from the masseter, for example. Pterygoid's the same, refers to the ear. But then if you look at the other three pictures where you're looking at the neck, uh, the neck muscles, and really these are where if you've someone's got a forward head posture, they're going to have trigger points in these areas. So the um, SCM, sternocleidomastoid, trigger points within there refers to so many parts of your head and face area. So um, this is basically um, one of the main areas that I treat. Um, and then in terms of treatment, what I would usually do is uh, find where all these trigger points are, of course, and note all of that down. But then uh, I do something called dry needling, which is specifically uh, for myofascial pain, where it's the same needle as acupuncture needles. It's based on Western medicine rather than Chinese. It's just the same needle. Um, and I'm ba basically putting the needle into the knot. So instead of using sustained pressure and I'm putting down on the knot, I'm putting the needle in instead. And what that does is a few things. It increases blood flow into the area, but also because basically I'm putting the needle in, um, I'm causing microtrauma there. And then that then allows us to heal ourselves um, in that area and it realigns the fibers. So rather than us being so twisted like this, the um, fibers are able to be apart okay, and separated. But more importantly, they are now over here, which means they are in a relaxed, lengthened position rather than contracted. Yeah. Um, so this, what, what, what would cause, you, you know, you said just now sternocleidomastoid is the most common muscle you get. Did I interpret that correctly? You said that's the most common area you treat? Well, yeah, <clears throat> as well as probably the trapezius and the suboccipitals as well. Okay, so suboccipitals, trapezius and sternocleidomastoid. So why, what What would cause, is it? Is it postural related? Um, is it... Um, Anything that people are doing that's causing the, the knots to happen in the first place? What, what's causing the knots in the first place, if you know what I mean? So it will be uh, sustained postures. So it doesn't necessarily have to be forward head posture. It can also be that you are, um, you may have great posture test work and they have great posture, great chair, great desk, everything. But maybe they've got several screens and they're just looking to the screen onto the side constantly. And to maintain that position um, is what then can cause a trigger point. So like dentists, for example, I, can, I see every time I go to the dentist and my husband as well, is that they have loops, but 
they're in this position for such a long time. <laughs> and he has loads of trigger points, you know. So um, it's sustained positions. It's not always poor posture. Um, it's more sustained positions. We're not made to stay in, stay so still. It reminds me of what, uh, what the physio guys uh, shared in, in the physio episode, um, Matt and Sam. They said, your best posture is your next posture, i.e. keep moving, uh, which I, I love. Always, I always remember that. So movement is a, is a healing agent. Uh, and I, I love what you guys do with the physios. You know, you guys uh, really have got that uh, all uh, just to a T. And it's just it's just great. You know, movement is is medicine you know that, that whole that whole saying itself it really gets your patients uh, thinking and uh, and and what i yeah. learned from you guys is that quite a lot of times patients because of the initial um, acute pain they had which then turns into chronic pain then their muscles they sort of they sort of almost enter an avoidance pattern they're avoiding they're yes. bracing they're not using the muscle yes. and then that makes yeah. things worse and then oh i'm only sticking to soft foods but really what i learned from you guys so far is that they should be stretching they should be using now correctly if i'm saying anything moving. wrong because this is your episode yeah. you're you're the expert yeah. i'm just someone who who's got a dentist has an interest in this area but am i right in saying that you guys are encouraging more movement and not the whole oh stick to soft diet don't talk too much that kind of stuff Completely. And um, really, as physiotherapists, what we want to do is um, improve mobility, reduce their pain, and uh, more importantly, establish normal movement and rehabilitate towards function. So when it comes to the TMD, really what we're looking for is that are they eating all foods? Are they chewing on both sides? Are they really strengthening wise? You only should you only need food, your meals to strengthen the jaw. You don't really need to do extra chewing gum or you know anything, any extra exercises like that. That's enough. Um, but it's about making them aware as well of what TMD is and making sure that they're using um, everything that they should be using towards function chewing, are they yawning properly, are they avoiding certain things. Um, so, yeah, that's exactly what uh, we want them to do is we need to have normal movement, not stop doing any sorts of movements. Awesome. So you touched on my facial pain. You said that you're using a dry needling a fair bit and the prescription of exercises. Um, is that the the main thing that you, you would do? Is there anything else that uh, we, we should know about the, the, the treatment that you provide for myofacial patients? Yeah, so um, there's, uh, I think in literature, when uh, they talk about physiotherapy, they obviously talk about the exercises, but there's also something called manual therapy. Uh, which is where we are mobilizing a joint. You can do all joints. Um, so it's not like chiropractic treatment where you're cracking um, anything. This is um, making joint movements within your normal range of movement. Okay. Um, so at the TMJ joint, we would do a distraction technique. So I put some gloves on, thumb inside your mouth, and then distract the uh, joint side. It's only a couple of millimeters, not as much as one showing there. But basically, this is the direction you go in. And what that does is that it gaps the joint, so you can increase blood flow into that area. But uh, in terms of myofascial pain, it then allows us to stretch the temporalis and the masseter as well. And then we do a lateral movement as well, uh, still internally, and uh, that allows us to work on the pterygoids and possibly the disc as well. Um, so that also helps stretch that muscle so that the trigger points don't happen um, as often alongside the exercises, because otherwise all you're doing is loosening something, someone off, and then what? 
once they stop seeing you, it's all going to come back again. So the strengthening part and then being compliant with the, strength, the strengthening exercises is really important. I, I often liken what you guys do to a little bit how uh, we as dentists treat perio disease. So what right. we do, the deep cleanings that we do um, at the practice is important to remove the biofilm. But what they do at home thereafter in terms of yes. their maintenance, their teepee brushes is what yes. really does the treatment. So same, you guys do your manipulations or um, uh, sort of joint manipulations, uh, and you pres- but you prescribe the exercises for them to continue at home. And that's what's strengthening yeah. everything. Is, is, that, is that a fair yeah. analogy? It is. It is. And um, you have to make it easy for the patient. I'm sure you guys do as well. There is you know, a couple of take home messages, really. Um, so I, um, I've done a video of me doing the exercises so that they've basically got no excuse to not do them. And also they're compliant and there's no way that they're doing something else because um, you tell them one thing and then they come back saying, yeah, I've been doing it. And actually they're doing something completely different. So, um, so I have videos. Um, I explain, like I spend about 45 minutes with them first session um, because I really want them to understand their own condition, how they are responsible for it as well. Not just me doing hands-on work. Um, and I, I think I'm still working on it. But I think I can, I'm able to get that message across. Awesome. Perfect. Uh, next thing I want to ch- uh, ask is a very clinical question in terms of dentists. We see patients who have their mouth open for long periods of time. Let's say we're doing a root canal treatment or a difficult extraction. Uh, and yeah. obviously the muscle is responsible for mouth opening. Primarily there's others as well, but primarily we've got the lateral pterygoids and that pterygoids, contracts yeah. the lateral curl. It shortens the muscle. It can yes. go into spasm. Now it has yes. happened. And I know you've seen these patients as well where uh, the dentist has uh, said, okay, we're done with the procedure. You can now close. Uh, and then suddenly they're, they're in masses of pain. And what's happened is that the, the disc has acutely displaced anteriorly. Right. Uh, and now what they have is, and uh, usually it would be a closed uh, lock where it can actually yeah. mean, I'm trying to think, it can be an open lock as well because the disc has gone posterior. Yes. You tell us what, yeah. how, what you see more of, but how can, A, how can we prevent it? I've sort of given a few hints, uh, dentistide how we can prevent it and uh, what I think, but I want to hear from you. But also, how do you treat that and see if we don't have a physio near us, how can we treat it just acutely, the acute management of that uh, really painful situation? Okay, so um, so you're right. It's basically the uh, lateral pterygoid that's gone into super-duper spasm. Um, so when, uh, say, if I was treating uh, that patient, if I got that referral, then things I would Ideally, you is... want to see them fresh, right? You want to see them the same day, right, I imagine? Or am I... Ideally, as soon as possible. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, same day would be great because then that way I can really bring the inflammation down that's, um, and bring the spasm down quicker. Otherwise, it's just going to get more and more tighter. Uh, so ideally, yes, the first day. Um, but then I would uh, do, I have a laser, a low-level laser uh, that I use, which works on pain and inflammation. Um, so I would do that around the actual um, jaw joint. And I always take it down into the masseter because the masseter starts going into spasm as well um, after a while. And usually with these patients who end up with these acute locks, they probably already had underlying TMD symptoms before. But it wasn't recognized. Uh, maybe the dentist never realized um, what they did, and they didn't think it was that bad. And sometimes patients have no idea 
that they even have a click or a bump or they grind or clench. So, Karina, um, I just want to add one thing for dentists out there. This, you know, we, we all have Karina, we have these patients that we hate them, right? And it's this kind of patient who you say open and within about six seconds, just usually a six so, second mark, they start closing again. <laughs> and you say open okay. again and they keep closing, okay? Yeah. These are the patients. These are one yeah. risk factor that you can see that, hey, why does patient keep closing? They're obviously struggling in a muscular state to, to keep open. So these are right. patients that will really benefit from using a mouth prop to, to you know, to, to take that load away from the lateral pterygoid. But yeah, that's one yes. type of patient that we should be looking out for that, hey, you know, this patient could be at risk of this happening after a long procedure. Exactly. Um, so yeah, so, and then, um, I would do the mobilizations again. So because with the mobilization, as I said, with the destruction technique, I'm able to gap the uh, joint. That then allows, if the disc is displaced anteriorly, allows the disc to possibly come back um, as well. But then because of the um, lateral movement I do, I end up stretching the pterygoid as well. So if I'm able to gain the length in the pterygoid, then the disc can also come back onto the condyle as well. Um, then I will give them some. Is, is that painful, Karina? I can imagine them really no. being a lot of pain when you're um, distracting, or, or not? No, no, it's not. You just feel stretchy. Um, at that stage, I'm not. I could really go for it, but I don't. I um, make sure that it's all within their um, comfort levels, uh, just because I don't want to increase more inflammation there. It's, there's already inflammation there, so we don't want to do that. So it's all um, there's a lot of TLC involved with that at that stage. Um, if it persists, then yes, I do. Then um, I'm a bit more aggressive with the uh, mobilizations that I do. Um, but initially, no, it's not painful. Um, and within the first couple of sessions, you're able to resolve that anyway. Um, you never really need to get to a point where it's uh, persistent. It's only if I've seen someone a few months down the road and actually there's a lot of uh, adhesions in there. But, but yeah, no, it's resolvable. Um, and then once it has resolved, I will then reassess them to see do you actually have TMD-associated uh, symptoms pre-dental uh, procedure? Um, and usually, like 100%, they do, um, and they just don't know. So then I say, you know, do you want to address this? And um, usually they do because they, like you say, they struggle with opening. But then there, there's the opposite patients who can open so wide and can stay open. And then those are also patients that probably a physio needs to see because, you know, they've got like 50, 55, 60 millimeters of opening. Hypermobile. Hypermobile, yes. And they're moving around everywhere. You know, they're, they're, the sense of hinging and rotation doesn't really exist with them. Um, so those are also the patients that probably we need to see because they um, need strengthening. And uh, because their ligaments are so lax, the muscles have to compensate. So just a little bit of strengthening work will just uh, allow them to stop subluxing as much. Um, and and, so, and that, that patient I described that comes in, in an acute scenario and you, you see them, is it typically an open lock, i.e. their mouth is open, or is it, a, is it a closed lock and they cannot open? Which one do you see more of or um, is one more common than the other? Closed is more common. Um, what I see by far yep. um, closed is more common where the disc is anteriorly uh, displaced um, uh, it's, it's, it's rare that I see an uh, open bite 
Yeah, that was um, my understanding as well. I, I thought closed yeah. is more common because the, the disc is stuck in front of the condyle and you can't yes. open beyond that 15, 20 millimeters on one side. So I imagine in that situation, you, you see a lot of them where it's happened on just one side unilateral and the jaw yes. just deviated to one side. Yes, exactly. So when they're opening, it's a straight line deviation. It's not the S shape. Mm. Um, it's a straight line deviation to the same side uh, because the lateral pterygoid has pulled them over onto that side. Um, then the mutant you see them basically centralize um, as the lateral pterygoid relaxes. And in terms of prevention, do you think it's fair as a dentist side to, to recommend using a mouth prop? Or firstly, identifying who yes. may be at risk. Be using a mouth prop uh, and see, you know, referring, using our physios um, even before you get to those long appointments to help strengthen things, to, to help uh, the patients heal and, and, and function better. And, and hopefully if they have headaches and stuff that you guys can help them, right, with, with headaches. Right. And the, uh, because I get this question a lot from dentists, it's like, you know, how, how should I be as a dentist assessing the patient quickly, though? Um, so and then I know whether they are at risk. Should I be taking other things into consideration? Should I even be referring to you? Um, and I usually basically tell them is that it's not really you don't you don't have to do loads of things. Really, maybe when the patient comes in or before their appointment, you can send there's this questionnaires that physios use where um, there are objective markers as a baseline of and we're checking their oral habits, we're checking um, any limitations. So it's, it's called there's a questionnaire called the jaw limitation scale. Um, maybe sending these out uh, to patients or whilst they're sitting in the reception, getting them to fill that out. And it also then checks their psychological state as well. Um, and then assessing them from both of those points, I think it then allows you to see, do they actually have a TMD condition? Um, are they in a high psychological um, state right now as well? Um, and then you can think, well, actually, maybe I do need um, extra time with patient. Maybe I need to put this prep in. Maybe I need to send um, them for physio. But maybe sending those questionnaires up might help. Um, and I, I, the dentists that do use it, they have found it uh, useful because otherwise then if they end up with an acute lock afterwards, that's more trickier to deal with. Um, whereas just giving them the questionnaire and then putting the block in. Oh, and sometimes the patient just needs, they need acknowledgement that this is being taken into consideration as well, especially if they're fatiguing a lot. Um, so... So, yeah, so that, are these available? Uh, like, can I can I share yeah. these with the community, the listeners, yeah. Petrusarati? So, so, if you could send those to me, I'll put them on the Petrusa Down Community Facebook group and then link it back to this episode, yeah. so then those people can 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 listen in and, and learn more. Would, yeah. would that be okay? Yeah, yeah. And I think maybe the other thing as well is um, there's like uh, the uh, myofascial pain chart as well. So I think if if dentists just learned. Uh, you know where a few of the trigger points were and if they found that actually they were active um so not just palpating um actually on the joint uh but palpating maybe some of the neck muscles as well um that might also help you to reach the diagnosis of actually maybe we need to refer to max fax a lot of dentists uh, refer to max fax right um and if the max fax is writing back to you and saying soft uh, like soft night guard, uh, nortripsaline, and jaw exercises, then really those are the kind of patients that I should uh, be seeing as well, or any physio near you should be seeing as well, uh, and especially if their uh, symptoms don't resolve. 
um, after all of those things, then something more needs to be done. And it'll just, I think, maybe make uh, your life a little bit easier um, because maybe the dental procedure won't go more smoothly uh, from a pain point of view. Brilliant. Have you have you found just a, just a few accessory questions here I want to ask you? Have you found that the most complex patients are those chronic pain patients that have also got fibromyalgia and all the other things yes. going on, on multiple systems yeah. and, and 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 your line of work? I mean, it's difficult. Like any medical practitioner, any physio, any dentist, we can't always give hundred percent guarantee. We can try our best, but but ha- ha- in those most difficult patients, what percentage of success can you get on, on on those? Do you think you know you may be able, you may not be able to promise complete resolution, but you might be able to say, look, we're hoping for an improvement. In your case, very complex case, give us a flavour of that. Um, so when I get referred a patient like that, in my assessment process, um, there's a lot of talking to and fro. It's a conversation. It's not just me telling them what's actually going on. In that, I will tell them that because they have fibromyalgia, IBS, uh, it's been going on for 10 years, for example, um, you know, it's difficult to say what the actual success rate is going to be. Um, and I'll list out, like, say, the um, opera study um, and just my own experience as well, is that because it's so multifactorial, all I'm actually doing is working on the joint and the surrounding muscles. Now, if that is um, if that is 100% the reason why they are in pain or whatever their presenting symptoms are, then I'm quite confident that I will be able to resolve their symptoms. But if they've got a person at home that drives them crazy and they're adding to their stress, uh, and that's 50% of the reason why they're in this situation, then I can do nothing about that. Um, so I'll try and explain it to them like that, um, that you know, it's so multifactorial and there's a lot of self-management involved. Um, so, I mean, success rate wise, it just depends. Oh no, I um, I, I love what you shared. So that. I I love I love the way you put it. You know, if 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 the, these areas are hundred percent contributing to your pain. So I say the same right. thing to my my splint patients because as a dentist, I, I I cannot treat headaches. And I don't treat headaches. Okay, so as a yeah. dentist, I do. And for the for the record, any dentist, we do not we cannot treat headaches. We cannot diagnose headaches. Be careful. However. I will take a headache history and I will say, look, what I'm treating here is prevention of your parafunction, prevention of your grinding, yes. damaging more teeth. And some of my patients have found that if that was the, the trigger that was causing the muscles into overdrive, that was then also contributing to your headaches, then that's a percent right. of success we're going to get with your headaches. And I, and I, I love that, what you shared, because it's yes. very similar to, to how I say as well. But I think there's a, definitely a role in there for your physios as well, because I think my my most difficult patients who have found some success with splints. I think you raised a great, great point that they're not wearing the splints during the day. And I think that's where really you guys come in to really strengthen and to stretch and relax everything. And I think there's a whole uh, adjunctive therapy alongside the splints that we provide. And I think there's a huge role that you guys have. Yeah, and I don't think it's either or. So it's not like you see a dentist or you see a physio. Ideally, and in my training, they're all allied health professionals. We are trained to work as a multidisciplinary team. So when I entered the world of TMD and specializing in it, uh, it, it was just surprising of how 
one multidisciplinary it is. Like everyone's doing their own thing. And actually, I think that if we all just grouped together and said, okay, well, you're great at this, you're great at this. And so when I see a patient who has what you're great at, then I can send them to you. So um, what I really, really want to do is create awareness on uh, what I'm doing. I want to know what other people are doing. I'd love for people to get in contact with me and say, oh, you know, I'm also treating this, this is how I can help you, and this is how I can help them. Like, you know, and just creating awareness that this exists. Because sometimes splints aren't working, or sometimes uh, nortriptyline and amitriptyline isn't working for them. Or maybe they just don't want to do it. They're not compliant with those sort of treatments. Then there are other things out there. And I think if we're able to get in contact without the threat, um, really, um, then it's only to the benefit of the patient, really. I, 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 I completely echo what you're saying because I think we do need to work more as a team and uh, I, I know I think many of the dentists listening to this today they'd probably be like if it wasn't for the earlier tip I'd gave in, uh, as a pearl to check out ACPTMD they'd be like what there's there's physios who do who do TMJ what I mean th now th yeah. these dentists probably don't even know you guys exist so that's the point of getting yeah. you on today so we can discuss this kind of stuff and it's been it's been really great talking to you about this I think I've covered the main questions, but I just want to give you a quick fire question. According to what you believe, can you palpate mm. the lateral pterygoid or not? Um, I personally, so there's a lot of controversy on this. Um, I personally think that you cannot because, so we were taught that you put your index finger um, through up to the zygomatic arch and then you go cranial and then that is basically the lateral pterygoid head. So then you do that, okay? Then at the University of Liverpool, when I did the master's uh, module, we had um, uh, uh, divers, and they, when we actually lifted all the flaps and tried to find where the lateral pterygoid was, actually we were touching the medial pterygoid. So I just thought, you know what, there's, I don't know whether I'm on the lateral or the medial here uh, in, a, in a patient. Um, so I concluded that you can't. Um, uh, same same some here. Some people believe they can. Yep. Uh, same here. I agree with you. And um, although I haven't, uh, I mean, I've, I've worked with cadavers before as a first year dentist student, but back then I didn't know what TMJ was. So I wasn't even looking for the, I didn't know what pterygoid was back then. So, so now that I'm, <laughs> I've read the studies where they've done, worked on cadavers to see, hey, through a cadaver, while we can see, can we palpate using the technique that we use in the chair? Can we palpate the lateral yes. pterygoid? And these studies have shown that no, you know, we just can't do it. We can't predictably do it at all. And you know, the pain sort of perception that people, you know, when you do this test, supposed test for that pterygoid, there's a hundred percent chance for a patient going, ah, that really hurts. Okay. So <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's not a great test, but for that reason as well. So I, I what I do is I test for lateral pterygoid by uh, against, uh, against resistance. So put my, yeah, perfect. Yeah. So put my hand, so those listening, put my hand uh, under the chin, get them to open up against resistance. And that's obviously putting a uh, load, if you like, or, or, or give, providing yes. resistance to the lateral pterygoid. Is that, is that how you would do it as well? Yeah, that's exactly how I would do it. Um, and then, then I would then safely say that actually um, there is um, tightness at the lateral pterygoid or this pain at the tongue, depending on what they um, report. And then also measurements um, from um, you know, lateral excursion and seeing if there's discrepancy there 
um, that also adds to the picture of what's going on. And then deviations, um, S-shape, C-shape, that sort of thing. So that then all just adds. So, you know, if you, you don't have to just palpate to then say the lateral thyroid is involved. There's other ways as well. Absolutely. and But there are some uh, eminent physios who, who would say that, no, I can feel lateral goid. This is definitely yes. lateral goid. So, uh, you know, this is the beauty. I, I always used to look at this kind of difference that, oh, this is terrible. Why can't we all just agree? But, you know, this is the, the beauty of dentistry. Now we're learning there's the beauty of physio that there are different opinions. I'm sure there's uh, yes. different schools of thoughts within, uh, within I'm sure what, what you do, may, there might be some physios think, oh, that's very controversial or whatnot. And I'm sure yes. what you, you see other physios doing that, hang on a minute, that's not right. And yeah, it, it is the way it is. This is how professions work so it is what it is yeah. um brilliant you've answered all my main questions now uh, i want to give the mic to you to just any um advice you want to give to dentists getting into this field and b how can we follow you on social media give us your social media handle so we can uh, learn more from you um so maybe advice to uh dentists would be is that so as physios um hopefully through this podcast i've actually highlighted that we don't just massage the masseters and now we actually um, have a different range of uh, treatments that we're actually able to do and things we're able to treat as well. Um, but also, I think if you're able to get the muscle chart, maybe I can send it to you and people can download it. Um, I can send you a muscle chart to actually look for the myofascial pain because um, that's probably 70% of the patients that most people treat with CMD. Um, and then I guess uh, people can find me on my website, which is queenofagilephysio.com. And I'm also on Instagram, where I'm probably most active, um, at Queen of Angel. Um, so you can see lots of uh, patient videos, interviews that I'm doing with lots of maxillofacial surgeons that I'm working with at the moment as well, and just showcasing how this can actually be treated. Amazing. We'll definitely I'll put the handles on as we, and, and the website and, and any downloads that you do email me over. Please remember, Karina. Uh, so I, I, I can, I can I add those know. on. And uh, I just thought of a yeah. story, actually, the first time about two and a half years ago, I actually referred a patient to, to a physio, a TMJ physio. Uh, I found him through the ACPTMD. This was when I was working in Oxford. Uh, and I was amazed. Like, I had this patient who had this... Um, acute episode where he ate something hard and he felt a crunch and now he's a bit of pain but now he cannot open and his opening was about 35 millimeters and i was like wow i don't know maybe i should send you to a physio and then in one session in one treatment he was able to get him to 51 millimeters i was like wow that's mm. that's amazing that really opened my eyes uh, uh, you mm. know all those years ago i suppose but but you know you guys as we covered today see so much more than that and uh, i think you guys are a really important part of the team and managing uh, you know, quote unquote TMD, which is a massive umbrella term. Uh, but I urge you all to, to find a, a physio near you that you can refer to. You'll get so much more success, success with your splint. So I've got the splint course coming out uh, very soon and I'll be adding a whole bit on that. You know, make an alliance with your physios. They will help you. And for yeah. your toughest cases, you need them because chronic pain is tough. Your splint will not help yeah. chronic pain. That's why I try and stay away yeah. from. I, I, pick, I like to cherry pick the easier cases. Uh, it's, it's, it's so much uh, your success rates will be so much higher that way. But Karina, thank you so much for coming on and sharing uh, your time and expertise with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Guys, thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. I really appreciate it as always. If you're listening to this and it's like this is a brand new episode, then wow, I have just pretty much launched my Splint course or it's about to launch. So uh, on Friday, I'm launching the Splint course, splintcourse.com. I'm so, so proud of it. This is my baby. It's taken so many years of video recording, late nights, 
early mornings to finally bring this 10 or 11 hour course into fruition. I say 10 or 11 because it depends on whether you count the bonus modules or not. So I've got lots and lots of content on there. I won't bore you because I've already told you all about the spin course already in various opportunities. So please do check it out. If you're interested in learning more about occlusal appliances, check out spincourse.com. Krina was one of my beta testers because I was really keen to hear her opinion of what she thought I was teaching dentists because I wanted to have a whole section on there on the importance of conservative care and the importance of physiotherapy. So check out spin course if you haven't already and I look forward to seeing you on there. Otherwise, I'll see you in the next episode. And hey, if you found this uh, useful, do follow us on at Protrusive Dental and also follow Krina Panchal as well. Her Instagram handle is at Krina Panchal. Thank you again, everyone, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Mm -hmm.